the 21st verse. And it's Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethlehem at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophets, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the lonely donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Our second scripture comes from the book of 2 Kings, the 13th chapter. So Elijah died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land, and in the spring of the year, as a man was being buried, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he came to life and stood on his feet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it's hard to believe that, uh, that we're in Holy Week. It's hard to believe that we're fast approaching Easter. And this doesn't come as a surprise, right? These are, these are pretty much the same time every year. It just varies a little bit. But it's amazing how quickly these things can come up on us in the church. I have to confess something to you. On Ash Wednesday, I told all of you that Lent is a time to slow down and to relax and to take it easy. Do you remember that? And I did a terrible job of that. Because it is Lent and it's in the church and there's a crazy amount of stuff going on to celebrate and to serve God. Lent is a very busy time of year, and it's especially busy for me because of all of the new and exciting ways God has been at work in our community, and in addition to all of the great traditions here at this church. Now, Lent began with our Tuesday night dinner with friends. We began that last year together with our friends at St. John UCC, and the idea was really simple, to bring together broad perspectives, to share a holy meal, and to share a discussion with, with our three churches. And it wasn't necessarily the goal to make it a yearly tradition, uh, and, and when you're visiting in the church, you, you can't know what you're going to need in five years or ten years, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to start something that you're going to do every year for the next five or ten years. But it did make sense to do it again this year because it was so important for us last year. But as I talked about in the announcements, we had a little tweak, right? We, we added something this year. This year we invited Rabbi Michael Alper from Congregation Temple Israel to offer us a Passover Seder to see what that looked like when Jesus and his disciples came together on Holy Week and ate together at Passover. And for those who weren't there uh, or unfamiliar, the practice of Passover uh, is a time when Jewish families gather around the table and recall the story of Exodus from Egypt, when God's people were held captive as slaves and who, thanks to the power of God, escaped. 
And during the Seder, children are invited to ask questions, and adults are compelled to answer them. In some faith circles, questioning faith is frowned upon, but one of the great joys of being a United Methodist is that we encourage questions, and at the Seder table, it's mandated, right? You have to ask questions. Now, it was special for me for a number of reasons, really too many to mention this morning. It was special to me because it was a gathering of love. Several weeks ago, as many of you know, there was a a series of devastating attacks on Jewish cemeteries around the country, one in St. Louis. Roger and I went to that cemetery to offer a little bit of help in the cleanup, and uh, in fact, we we met Rabbi Michael Alper there. Uh, Rabbi Michael and I had met prior to that, but we met him there, and it was such a, a, a profound moment for me to go from that seeing the rabbi there and and seeing hate on display to our church, here in our community, to demonstrate love. It was special because it was an opportunity to grow deeper in faith and to gather new perspectives and to have a richer, fuller understanding of our own heritage. It was around a table just like ours last week during the Passover that Jesus instituted Holy Communion. He sat around a table just like ours when the disciples asked questions and while they ate. It was special because it was the church doing what the church is supposed to do. We have so much to celebrate, so much to be excited about, so many good things happening right here in our church. And I don't want to diminish all of the incredible things that we're doing, but that was especially incredible. And friends, let me just kind of lay out one final plea ahead of Holy Week. If Sunday morning is your only exposure to this church, that's totally fine, right? You're totally welcome, and we love having you here, but you are missing so much of the amazing ways that we grow deeper in our faith in this church throughout the week. I know that our schedules are incredibly busy. I think we're living in as busy of a time as humans have ever lived. We have a million things going on that detracts us away from things we'd rather do. But if you can find some time this week, literally every day this week, find a day, say, I can commit to that. I can do something on Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday and grow deeper in faith this week. It's amazing what can happen in the church when we're willing to go beyond Sunday. So what does all this have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, everything really. The disciples had spent the last couple of years of their lives traveling with Jesus. The disciples were mostly very young men. They were teenagers. That was the age that that disciples were called to rabbis. So these disciples are hanging around with Jesus for two or three years, and they spent their time learning about Jesus. They spent their time learning about God. They spent their time sitting around dinner tables with Jesus every night asking him questions. That's what disciples do with a rabbi. They ask questions and they grow deeper in their faith. The intention of a disciple and rabbi process in that time period was so that the disciples would be able to spread the yoke of the rabbi, the rabbi's personal theology, and spread it with the world. So that's what they were doing. And they witnessed all of the extraordinary things that Jesus had been doing. They witnessed him heal. They witnessed him raise people from the dead. They witnessed him offer sight to the blind They they witnessed him in the midst of villages where they would say, these people are unclean, these people are unwell, these people are unworthy, these people are useless, these people are bad, these people are evil. And Jesus would come in and they witnessed him say, these are all my people, every single one of them. For me, the most profound moment in the Seder uh, came when we're calling the story of Exodus, and it's a story that, that isn't included in our Christian traditions of this story, but it is included in Jewish traditions of this story. And the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's army chases the Hebrews, right? And they chase them all the way to the, to the Dead Sea, and, and right, and it's parted, right? Remember that story? The sea is parted, and they make their way through, and the sea then collapses on Pharaoh's army. And the, the story in the Seder goes that the angels and the heavenly hosts came down to the Hebrews, celebrated with them, cheered with them, 
And God said, how can you cheer when my creatures are dying? That's the profound love of Jesus Christ as a love for everyone, even those who do harm, even those who do wrong, receive love from God. So now they were heading into Jerusalem, and there was fear in their hearts. They didn't want Jesus to go at first. Fear that would end badly. Fear that is warranted, as we'd find in Holy Week. But excitement in their hearts all the same for what's next. And as they arrived, the people were excited. Jesus was coming to town. They had heard about him. They knew about him. They had witnessed the extraordinary things that he had done. And they had read the stories of Elijah and Elisha. The last several weeks, we've been studying stories of resurrection in the Bible. Two of those stories came from the Old Testament and tell the story of Elijah and Elisha, several centuries before Jesus came around. These people had heard these stories. These people had studied and read these stories. These people had asked those stories, asked those questions around the Seder table themselves. They knew these stories, and they recognized that the power of Jesus was more like the power of Elijah, not just any other rabbi. That Jesus had that kind of power. They were excited, and so they threw down their palm leaves and their cloaks, and they welcomed him to their town as if he was a king. I have to admit that some of this came with unneeded baggage, and the Hosannas, many were actually saying, we can't wait until you overthrow Caesar and end the Roman occupation of our, of our land. Some said, we can't wait till you end the corruption in our religious societies. Because sometimes we have a tendency to get excited and to, to kind of put God in a little box and decide that that's what God is definitely going to do, but the plans that Jesus had were far different. Perhaps if the people knew the plans that Jesus had, they wouldn't be laying down palm branches. (coughs) Indeed, as we journey into Holy Week, we will arrive at a point where we find Jesus alone on the cross. The crowd wasn't there, not even his disciples were there, save for a couple. Alone on a cross because people who were excited about all of the good he might do were unwilling to be present in the midst of the worst parts of what he was asking them to do. But today is Palm Sunday. Today, as a church, we sing Hosanna loudly because we know that great things are coming. We know that great things have already come, and we know that victory in the end belongs to God. Rabbi Michael ended our Seder uh, with a silly song sung by children that's sort of reminiscent of the little old lady who lived in a shoe, right? It's one of those cumulative songs. It starts out, it's, it's, it's terrible, right? But it's funny, and I guess it's, it's humor. It starts out with a child who's eaten by a cat, and a dog who bites the cat, and then a stick who beats the dog. Does anyone remember what goes beyond that, right? The fire consumes the stick. And it goes on and on and on and on until you get to the final line. And then the, and then the, <clears throat> the Holy One, God, smote the angel of death. That's the story of Easter. It's the story that death doesn't get the final word. That even on the cross, Jesus wasn't done. That <clears throat> in the end, God is always the victor. As I said, we're in a series right now exploring the topic of resurrection, and today's story is pretty easy to gloss over. It's only two verses. Really, it's only one verse if you really want to distill it. And we're going backwards, all the way back to Elisha. Remember that he is the student of Elijah. He's Elisha's, Elijah's, right? That's so confusing. Elijah, J, Elisha, S-H, two different people. Elisha is Elijah Jr., basically. And I recall when we talked about them, I said that Elijah and Elijah both get to add raising the dead to their resume, but Elijah gets it twice, right? And this is where that second one comes in. You see, bodies weren't buried inside the city. That was illegal, and it was also considered unsanitary. 
Uh, if that was, you know, in today's terms, right, we'd be, all of our cemeteries would have to be out like by uh, Bill and Alice on TT, right? I mean, we wouldn't have, to, we wouldn't have them here in town. <coughs> and, uh, but, so they would, they would bury their bodies just outside of town, and this was happening, right? This was kind of a routine thing. They were burying a body, and they see a band of Moabites, and Moabites were people who would kind of gather around in the rocks and in the bushes, and then they would attack people as they left the city. Oftentimes, people were leaving the city with money because they were, or some sort of valuable to trade because they were heading to another city, right? What do you do when you go out of town, right? You bring something with you. You got your credit card with you. You got some cash, right? I mean, you're prepared to go out of town. And so <clears throat> the Moabites are there, and they see them, and they decide that this already disturbed grave is good enough. They open it up. They throw the guy in there, and it's Elijah's grave. And when he touches the bones of Elijah, he comes back to life. This story is important because it demonstrates the power of God existed even in the bones of Elisha. Even in the bones of Elisha, the power of God was on display. And for people who read those stories, who studied those stories, whose whole life was learning those stories, they knew that Elijah was the predecessor of the Messiah, that he healed and had great power and could even bring back people to life. And they knew that Elisha had power even in death. So it made a lot of sense then that when they began to see Elijah again in Jesus, that they would throw down their palm branches and throw down their cloaks, but perhaps they didn't yet understand what Elisha's story meant when the cross came. But indeed, we do today. So we celebrate on Palm Sunday knowing that Monday, Thursday, knowing that Good Friday are coming, knowing that this week ends with an execution. We celebrate even today on Palm Sunday because we also know that death doesn't have the final word, that God's victory comes in the end, and that next week in this place, we're going to be sharing the greatest story that's ever been told, the story of the risen Jesus Christ. And when we look around our world today, we see clear evidence that although some who laid branches at the feet of Jesus believed that everything bad was over, it wasn't. Many of the people who were celebrating weren't there at the cross because they thought they had lost. They thought that anything bad still happening in the world was evidence that Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. We still have war and violence. We still have greed. We still have poverty. We still have hungry. We live in a world that has enough food to go around, but people actually still starve to death. We live in a world where people cheer for violence as if it matters more that my team is winning than it does that someone's dying. But a king is coming. The Holy One wins in the end. I've got to add another little confession in here. I looked ahead. I read the end of the book. Right? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. God wins in the end. And we'll never stop singing Hosanna in this church. I promise you that. Every Sunday, we'll gather in this place to, at least in our hearts, lay down palm branches and proclaim that the King is here. And then we'll go out from this place to ask what's next. I think my, one of my favorite parts of the Seder was this poor phone call the rabbi got from his wife. His wife's also a rabbi. Uh, her name is uh, Amy Fader. And uh, they're a rabbi team at the, te- at the temple, which I think is just fascinating. And about 10 o'clock, she get, he gets a phone call from his wife, and she says, are you okay? Because he was still there. He was still in our basement, right? And because people were asking him questions and talking to him, and we were having such a good time, and he was still there because we were still wanting to know more and wanting to share more with him. <clears throat> the best part was, after he left, there were still questions. And they were the best questions a pastor could ever hear. And it was, what's next? What do we do after this? What's the next thing we're going to do to celebrate God? What's the next way we're going to grow deeper in our faith? What is the next way God is going to do amazing things right here in St. Clair? What's next indeed? 
The king is here, and there is so much more for us to do. Amen.